Our church is just 20 months old. It's hard to believe. And from the beginning of our church, the grace of God has overflowed among us through the gift of hospitality. This is from the beginning. Those of you who weren't with us 20 months ago, you need to know that this kind of extravagant hospitality that marks our congregation was there at the beginning. Those of you who have joined Incarnation over the past year and a half, more than likely you have experienced God's grace in your life through the hospitable generosity of others in this room. We've just bought a building downtown. One of the things that this building is going to do is it's going to hold our feet to the fire. Are we going to be a hospitable church? It's easy when all of a sudden you own stuff to start being protective of stuff. It's easy to have a building and to turn inward because it demands that you turn inward and you deal with all of this stuff you've now got to deal with that we used to not have to deal with. But God is calling us as a church to ever more deeply receive hospitality into our lives. So we're focusing in the message last week and in the message this week on hospitality. Last week, the hospitality that exists between close friends and how we open our hearts to to close friends and we open our homes to them. This week, our subject is on hospitality towards strangers, the needy and the vulnerable. Let me tell you a story. When I was 18 years old, I was a youth minister at Calvary Baptist Church in Bay City, Texas. And uh, there's this verse in the Bible, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2. It says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. And I took it very seriously. And um, apparently word got around the strangers in our community. Apparently the strangers in our particular community had a network, it seemed. And, uh, and whenever my car was at the church, business was booming. Um, uh, that I would get all the time, you know, people would show up. Well, um, one Sunday or one, one day, I'm at, the, I'm at the office and uh, there's a knock on the door and there's this uh, couple and they give me their story and, and uh, they, they need help and they need a place to stay. So I take them to the motel that I do this with, with people coming through, and um, I I pull up beside the lobby, I give them cash, they get out of my car, they go into the lobby, they register for the room or whatever, they come out with the key, then I drive them around to their room and uh, watch them go in, wave goodbye, and I think that, you know, the story's over. And the next morning, when I get to my office, it's been ransacked. So I call the police, the police come out, and... uh, they're, they're checking around the office. Just a funny aside, um, Luke used to be the youth minister at this church after me. He was. And uh, the cops, and so he'll know why this next part is true and funny. When the cops look through my office, it's obviously been ransacked, and they're like doing fingerprints and stuff. They go to the pastor's office, and they say, oh, they got in here too. And he said, what are you talking about? <laughs> they haven't touched a thing. It's just... <laughs> 
So after a while, I tell them the story about the, the previous evening, and so they go to the hotel, the motel, and uh, find out that the couple wasn't exactly a couple. She was a prostitute, and apparently I paid for her services that evening, but I didn't pay enough. So they came back to my office to, I think, settle out the bill by getting some stuff to cover the deficit. Now, back to this verse in Hebrews chapter 13. Do not neglect to show hospitality. Now, that word hospitality, the the Bible, the New Testament, was originally written in Greek. And that word there, hospitality, in Greek, it's philozenia. Some of you know this from Xena, Princess Warrior, right? (laughs) Xena means stranger, xenia, xenophobe. Right, xenophobic, fear of strangers. Philo is love. But we learned last week philo is the love between friends, right? So philoxenia, hospitality is literally what? Showing the love toward a stranger that you normally reserve for family and friends. Now this leads us right to the heart of what the Bible teaches about hospitality. And if you take notes, this is a great, I can sum up the Bible's teaching on hospitality in one sentence. It is extending the quality of kindness to needy strangers that you normally reserve for family and friends. Now that's, that's really serious. Extending the quality of kindness to needy strangers that you normally reserve for your family and your friends. Now think about this. We often think of hospitality as having friends over, having family over, people whom you know and like well, or fake really well. But in the Bible and for most of church history, hospitality is not about what you do with your friends and your family. Hospitality is about welcoming the needy stranger. But like my experience down in Bay City goes to show, practicing hospitality when it comes to strangers is risky. And it's fraught with the possibility of failure. And there are horror stories galore. I mean, what I experience is kind of humorous, but it can also turn rather tragic. But the Bible is clear. Even though there's a risk, we're not off the hook. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Hebrews 13 verse 2. Now this was written in a very different place. And we can't let ourselves off the hook by saying where our culture is more dangerous. Actually, it's not. In in fact, this is a very different place in a very different setting. But they were facing the dangers we face. Romans chapter 12 verse 13. This passage that Eva read to us. Seek. To show hospitality. So not only are we not off the hook. But we have to actually aggressively. Assertively. Find opportunities. We've got to look for opportunities. We need to get good at spotting the needy stranger. We need to seek them out. Many of you remember Janina. Who was a part of our church from the beginning. Do you know how Janina came to be a part of our church? Ernie's at a bowl of good, right? And he notices this young lady that's clearly from Latin America. Ernie knows Spanish, I think. You start talking. It's soccer, isn't it? World Cup soccer, soccer, which means all of South America and Harrisonburg was at a bowl of good because it's on it, right? 
and you're serving ethnic food that works for them. And Ernie sits down by her and starts talking to her, discovers within that first conversation she needs a place to stay. And so the Ditos open their home and their hearts to this stranger. You know why? Because years of practice of practice have made Ernie and Katrina good at seeing people in need and opening their hearts and their homes up to them. First Peter chapter four verse nine show hospitality without grumbling. <laughs> so not only are we not off the hook, not only do we need to get good at finding the opportunities, but look, we've got to do this with joy. It was no, why, why did they have, why did Peter have to tell them do it without grumbling? Well, what's the obvious? Read between the lines. Because they were just like us, right? It was just as hard for them. It was just as inconvenient for them. It was just as fraught with danger, danger and, and complications. It was just as invasive. So they needed to be reminded, not only do you do it, not only do you need to find opportunities to do it, but when you're doing it, quit griping about it. Don't grumble about it. We're to be generous in our hospitality and do that with joy. Now, we could go on and on. This covers the Bible. It's on page after page after page of Scripture. But I want us to actually stop, just accept that, the Bible comm- that God commands us in Scripture to do this. And I want us to ask the question, why? Why are we commanded? Of all the things God commands us to do, we understand some of them, right? Thou shalt not murder. I mean, I can wrap my mind around why God would tell me not to do that. Right? There's lots of things. And we like the command about love your neighbor. I mean, I can understand that. It even actually works out in my behalf, doesn't it? Because then my neighbor likes me. But why does God command us to do something that's complicated and fraught with danger and the risk of failure? Why does he command throughout Scripture this? Three reasons. Number one, hospitality flows out of a grateful response to God's generosity. Throughout Scripture, extending hospitality is connected to you and me having a grateful response to God's generosity with us. Look, when the Jews first moved into the land that we call Israel today, it's about 1,500 years prior to Christ, so about 3,500 years ago, when they moved into that land, God insisted that they see themselves as immigrants, that they constantly have an identity, even though they're living in houses and even though they are in government, that they still perceive of themselves via the, the metaphor of an immigrant. Leviticus chapter 25, verse 23. The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine. You are strangers and sojourners. Even though they own their houses and own their land every bit as much as many of us own houses and own land, God said, you still cannot think that you own it. I own it. And you're a stranger And you're a sojourner. And throughout the Torah, throughout the first five books of the Old Testament, throughout the law, many times when when God is instructing Israel about ethical issues, he connects it into a self-identity. 
of being immigrants. And it's when they stopped thinking of themselves as immigrants and started thinking of themselves as owners that they started acting inappropriately. You see, the Jews were not that impressive as a country. For a long time, they were this landless, puny group of slaves, right? And that God then takes care of them. He takes them out of bondage and he gives them a home. So their experience was being needy and dependent on God. God protected them. He provided for them. So God said, look, when you come across somebody who's needy and vulnerable, you need to remember that no matter what your list of assets say, you are in the same boat as them with me. They were supposed to remember where they came from, that they owe their very existence to what? To God's generous kindness toward them. Now, a key verse here is is what Glenn read, Leviticus 19, verse 33, 34. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. In other words, when you see a stranger, see them as yourself. And you shall love them, him, as yourself. And then it gives the reason. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Hospitality was at the heart of Israel's identity. Because God was gracious and generous to Israel when Israel was needy and vulnerable, a group of wandering homeless people. Because God was generous toward Israel when Israel did not deserve and could not earn God's generosity. Israel was supposed to treat needy strangers in the same way. Now listen, that's your family heritage. We are the people of God. That's our story. That's us. That's not a different group of people. We are, the, we are Israel. It's our, and it's not only that that's our story. Isn't it our present reality? I mean, how many of us in this room have seen how clearly we are sinful? And God, like on the icon in the front of our worship, God, God has generously opened his heart. To you and to me. As people who've been treated with ultimate kindness, we are to open our hearts and our lives to the needy among us. Why? This is an outflowing of God's grace in our life. God welcomes us, so we welcome others. That's one reason for hospitality. That is what Rublev is getting at in his icon. The second reason was in our gospel passage, Matthew chapter 25. This is really a remarkable teaching that Jesus gives. Those who welcome strangers and meet their needs, in some mystical way, you are actually welcoming Jesus. Not in a symbolic way. In a real, tangible, mystical way. You are receiving and welcoming and showing kindness to Jesus, right? I was hungry and you fed me. Lord, when did we ever see you hungry? Well, whenever you did it to the least. That was me. Hospitality to other humans is somehow a personal expression of love to Jesus. Now now think about this. 
right at the heart of the Old Testament, God connects Israel's hospitality to their relationship with him, right? And right at the heart of the New Testament, Jesus connects Christians' hospitality in their relationship with him. This is a consistent teaching throughout Scripture. I know of a church. (laughs) It wasn't a rich church, kind of a blue-collar church. And in their embrace of this reality... In their obedience to the command of hospitality, they began to care for the poor in their city. And before long, this church that really didn't have the resources were feeding 3,000 widows and unmarried ladies every day. Because in that culture, a woman without a husband or a father to take care of her was profoundly vulnerable. Still the case in many cultures today. They also began to take care of all of the city's prison population. Because in this culture, if you didn't have food brought to you in prison, the government didn't give you food. So prisoners without family were were seriously vulnerable. The church said, we'll do it. They took care of the disabled. They took care of people who were traveling and were away from home because there were no hotels in their city. And in addition to all of that, they provided food and clothing to huge numbers of people that popped up every day. Now, the church, it was in the city of Antioch in 400 A.D., 1,600 years ago. This is what embracing God did to this church. When Christians encounter a stranger in need, we see more than a need. We see them as someone who is valuable, made in the image of God, no matter how tarnished that image is. Walking through town this morning, I had to step over the homeless guy, sleeping in a parking lot, snoring as I step around him. I mean, it's not just Antioch that has this. And again, I'm not saying it's simple. It's not. It's very, very complex. That homeless guy I stepped around was Christ in disguise. And we have to believe that. That when we welcome the needy people into our lives, we serve them as host. We see them as our guest. When we feed them and give them our full attention, we are giving our attention to Christ. We are loving the Jesus to whom we sing all of these songs to. Number three, a third reason. It's found in Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, if you have your Bible, turn there. Jesus has gone to be the guest. Of someone. He's the guest in the home of, of a man who can afford to host an extravagant meal. And while he's a guest in this guy's house, he tells two stories. Really interesting stories. The first story begins in Luke 14, verse 12. He said also to the man who had invited him. Jesus is the guest talking to his host. When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Lest they also invite you in return and you are repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. 
Now, that's a quite a um, socially awkward story to tell to your host. Second story, verse 15. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But Jesus just doesn't want the awkwardness to be over with. So he said, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many, and at the time for the banquet he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I've got to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you've commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of these men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Now there's clearly a lot going on here. There's a lot of subtext. But I think one of the ways that we can receive what Jesus is saying here is just to admit that it is natural to invite people we know and like to our parties. Like I said last week, there is a place for that. The grace of friendship is really important and good. We shouldn't shy away from it or be ashamed of it. But Christians must extend the same quality of kindness. Do you see it here? To the needy stranger as they do to friends and family. We've got to show the same quality of kindness that we extend to each other, to the most vulnerable in our community, to the ones who are vulnerable to injustice and exploitation. When we open our hearts and our homes to make a place at our tables and in our spare rooms for the people who offer no value to our conversation, who offer no positive benefit to the social mix, to the ones who bring nothing to the table but awkwardness and need. When we do this, here's the third reason. We are showing the world a foretaste of the new heavens and the new earth. And that's why we've got to do it. We have got to be agents Of what is to come. This is not an altar. This is a table. And every Sunday. Christ receives us to his table. And it's hors d'oeuvres. I mean it's real bread and real wine. He's really giving us his body. He's really giving us his blood. And one day he's going to do this. And it's it's going to be so remarkable. He calls it a marriage feast. He's going to pull out all the stops. Janelle and I have very good friends who live in a small town in South Texas. He's the town doctor, which means he births and buries, right? Small town. His wife is a nurse. She's for years ran the medical clinic. They're in their 50s now. They have three daughters, all adults. But while their girls were young, 
they adopted a young boy who was basically a street kid. Now, that's complicated to bring this boy into your house. But they did. They raised him. Now he's an adult and he's succeeding. It's this wonderful story of redemption. Well, a few years after that, this lady, Bev, Bev is her name, Bev Drost, she starts uh, tutoring at school. And she recognizes there's a group of people in the school system who are totally falling through the cracks. So she starts tutoring them in her house. She starts teaching teenagers how to read who are just getting past so they can get pushed through the system. Janelle and I and our children, we have never been to their house when there's not two or three young black teenagers that are wearing the clothes Bev and James bought for them, sleeping in their rooms, and Bev is teaching them how to read. This has been going on now for a decade. We were there when it was just getting started. And you know what's unbelievable? Before they started doing this, the church they were a part of was overtly racist. Things were done there that you would think haven't been done since the 50s. This is just a few years ago. And now that church, a few years later, is a crazy, racially mixed up place. And Janelle and I love to take our children down to Yoakum, Texas, and to stay in their home. And you know why? Because it is a foretaste of the new heavens and the new earth. And it tastes so good. Hospitality is a fundamental way that we establish with God His kingdom on earth. When we pray, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, this is a way we actually get to experience the answering of that prayer. What I hope you're seeing is that hospitality sits at the heart of authentic Christianity. Now, I know there's a lot of unanswered questions. That's okay. Um, I hate sermons that kill, that die the death of a thousand qualifications because they want to cut off every little thing that can be misunderstood, right? That's, that's not a sermon. That's some weird thing that, that we shouldn't. <laughs> you constantly see Jesus saying things and then walking off and the disciples are having to work out all the messy details, right? <laughs> Clearly, we need to be wiser than I was when I was 18. Clearly, we do. But on one level, it's really not that difficult. Buy a bucket of KFC chicken and have a meal with someone. You can't do it by yourself. You don't have enough money. It's not complicated. Find a friend. Tell them they're commanded to do it too. Get five bucks from them. And the two of you go in and do it together. I mean, really, go around this world where there's extreme poverty and you'll see that poor people can be hospitable. Don't let that. It's not that complicated. You see, our problem is that we, we do need to teach our children stranger danger. Absolutely. But if, if teaching them that lets us off the hook of this, that's sin. We're smart. We can figure this out. We've got to figure out how to do this. So clearly, some singles don't need to have some people, strangers, into their house. I'm not saying all of that, but I'm saying your limitations do not let you off the hook. They just demand your creativity. The first Sunday that Janelle and I visit Holy Trinity Cheltenham, the the church we went to in England, we sit down, there's me, there's my, my my lovely wife Janelle, there's Spencer. 
Sloan hadn't been born yet. I was trying to think back. I wasn't trying to think of his name. Thanks, Jesse. I was trying to think if he was there. It's a big church, 1,100 or so people. We sit down. This big Irishman next to me leans over and says, do you all have a small group? When I talk, the accent, it's quite obvious. We just moved here. He, and I said, we don't have a car. You know, we don't even know the town. He said, oh, no worries. We'll pick you up. And I said, we've got this baby. Oh, my teenage son will babysitter. <laughs> so this was our next week. We get in the car and leave this teenager with Spencer in the, in the, in the nursery. He's, by the way, a professional rugby player today. That teenager, he's not, he wasn't a small teenager. But anyway, but you know what? This was just came natural to them, right? Right, Like Ernie at a bowl of good. He just leaned over and did what he could in the moment that came natural. And God used it in our life in serious ways. Today, Leonard and Allison Brown are Spencer's godparents. I mean, God used this in our life. And it was what we desperately needed in that moment. And he just went out on a limb and did this. For us to grow as a church in the grace of hospitality, we're going to be forced to evaluate our priorities. Three quick priorities. Number one, we've got to learn to tolerate risk together. We're going to own a building. And hospitality means things get worn out faster than if you don't. When we constantly try to protect our possessions, it is hard to be hospitable. Some things will be broken. Some things will wear out sooner. This is what happens when you open your heart and your home to strangers and the needy. And it's not just our church, it's your house. And then there's the priority of time. If you're too busy to extend the quality of kindness to the needy stranger that you, spend, that you give to your family and friends, then you're too busy. And you need to reorganize your life. Now, there are seasons. We've talked about this. Obviously, seasons of busyness. But if in reality, the season of busyness is your own idolatry, then you need to own up to that. You need to recognize that. You need to repent of that. And you need to organize. Look, if you don't have time to be hospitable, it's not that you're unique. There's always been 24 hours in a day. There's always been seven days in a week. There's always been the need to work your fingers to the bone to get by. Nothing is new under the sun. This is a priority issue. If you do not have time for strangers, you have got to change your schedule. You can't stand before the judgment seat of Christ and say, I didn't have time. Just think about cooking. To be really pragmatic, hospitality often involves food. It's often what is most needed on a social level and on a physical level. Our our country is experiencing a plague of loneliness. Start there. Have someone over and give them your food and your drink and your full attention. Now look, if you don't know how to cook, learn. If for no other reason for this, if you're married, then one of you is off the hook. You don't have to both. I mean, just as long as somebody can do it, right? And if if either one of you have tried and tried to cook and you just fail miserably, lean cuisine, microwave. But here's the deal. Listen, Susanna Lamont loves to teach people how to cook. You are without excuse. (laughs) 
I, and I'm, I, I mean that. Learn to cook if for no other reason so that you can live into your heritage. So that you can live up to your name. And speaking of being married, hospitality is one reason for living on one income. Now, you can't always do this, but let, let me just say, it is far easier to offer hospitality when one person is not working outside of the house. Cultures where... The, listen, one of the reasons Janelle and I can practice so much hospitality is because somebody is always home. We can tell needy people, come by, and we'll be there. It, now, look, there... I know there's, this is complicated, there's extenuating circumstances, but if you're considering dual incomes or not, this is one thing to weigh into the factor. How will dual income impact your ability to be an agent of the kingdom via hospitality? Just put it in the mix. If you, not everybody has the luxury, but more people in America have the luxury than, than actually embrace it. A third priority I think we're going to have to deal with is bringing up this whole issue is money. Hospitality requires money. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 28, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. If, if, if you can earn more money... And it can enable you to be more hospitable. Now, there's some ways of earning more money that actually decrease your ability, okay? Just yesterday, out in the backyard, a neighbor comes over, lives on the street behind us. They're selling their house. I asked them if they're moving. They said, yeah, we want to downsize so that we can free up more resources to give to others. What a countercultural move. Their children are just now heading into adolescence. That's the moment where some people move into the bigger house. They're just they're looking for another house in the same area so they can live out hospitality. They don't come to our church. I mean, the kingdom of God is big. It's huge in this town. And there's other churches where the grace of God is doing the same work. We're not unique to this. We all face different challenges when it comes to hospitality. It might be your time. It might be your abilities. It might be your money. We all face different challenges. For some of you, it's none of those things. It's a far more intangible thing. For some of you, it's the mask of perfection that you feel like you need to wear. You see, when we offer hospitality, our faults as well as our possessions are on display. They're open to scrutiny. I mean, you have someone living in your house. They know. Uh, Ernie and Katrina never have arguments, but I'm assuming that if, for example, Janelle and I were living there and Janina was living there, Janina would know, right? And you can't be that close to people. And some of you, you've just, you can't wait for perfection to open up your heart and your life. You just bring them into it. Think, Think of this as the key difference between entertaining and hospitality. Entertaining is when you carefully prepare and carefully plan the evening. The food's just right. The table's set. You've vacuumed. <laughs> you create the right atmosphere and you project the right image. And there is, there's a time and place for that. But that is not hospitality. That's entertaining. The problem is that in the deep south, we call that hospitality. And we're wrong. And you know what it does? It enables us... To get off the hook. Hospitality is being willing to say, come in. 
this is how we live. <laughs> yeah, when you've been over here for Bible study and it was neat, that was a sham. <laughs> you know, this is life. <laughs> yeah, you have to step over that. I know it's dirty clothes. We'll get to it next week. You know, that's, that's hospitality. Come in. This is how you, and when you confuse hospitality and entertaining, the house is never ready and the stranger is never invited. We cannot let the fear of failure or mistake or loss or unanswered questions or, or, or all. We cannot let this stuff freeze us into inaction. Cover up our hardened hearts. We just need to get kinder and better at hospitality. And you know how you do that? Through practice. I mean, some of us think how, think how illogical it is to say, I'm not going to play the violin until I can play it like Jesse. Some of you saying, I'm not going to do hospitality until I can do what the Ditos and the Cooks do. That, that's, that's the same logic. It doesn't. Just go for it. You're going to totally... Have you ever heard a beginning violin player? <laughs> it ranks up there with the beginning French horn. No. <laughs> And some of you are going to strike just as awkward a note when you try to stretch out in hospitality. And go for it. It takes practice. There's an old Danish proverb. If there's room in the heart, there's room in the house. May it be said of Harrisonburg in the valley that our city, our valley, is not large enough for the compassion of the church of the Incarnation. Let's pray.